1: Month. Now more college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver show on Southern sports today.
2: Tuesday on the Chuck Oliver show. Appreciate Dave two joining us. If it's Tuesday on the Chuck Oliver show and it's part two in hour one, he is hired by college football programs. That would be football ops people. That'd be the head coach, the athletic director. I need people. Tell me how to hire the right people. Dave does that. NFL. Well, basically, what is the draft? It's a job fair. We're hiring people. <laughs> we need to hire a wide receiver and two pass rushers. Uh, Dave is hired by NFL teams to tell them who to hire during the draft. So that's what Dave Bartu does on Tuesday. we have Wilson Alexander on. Baton Rouge advocate. It's on the LSU beat. Uh, a lot ago, I was mentioning Brian Kelly and the D tackles, and this all emanated. Like, I wound up with a Billy Napier idea, how that guy keeps – Billy Napier will be employed in Gainesville fall of 2025 because of something that started with Harold Perkins on my mind this morning. And so, we'll pick up the Billy Napier thing, put it in a fishbowl. It's over here. We'll go to the Harold Perkins thing, the defense thing, the tackles thing, the new defensive staff, the new assignments for at least a couple of guys on offense. We'll talk all this um, with Wilson Alexander. Again, coming up about 15. Bottom of the hour, James Coley was at South Carolina for about a month and a half. Program gets $450,000 because he left. But they, they had him for six weeks, and now they don't. So James Coley's going back to Athens, and um, I assume that getting the ace recruiter, guy who can get the signatures, I assume that's top of the mind, but we'll we'll talk about Sean Elliott and the returning Nick Harbor and everything else going on in South Carolina. Chris Clark from Gamecock Central. It's an on-three thing. We'll do that bottom of the hour. You know if you listen to this program what's on the side of my fridge. I have a sheet from a yellow legal pad. And in black ink at the top, I have life rules. Underneath it, several spaces down, sports rules. Life rule, for instance, if you're breaking the law, don't break the law. Bail of marijuana in the trunk, don't speed. Don't drive with a busted tail light. If you're breaking the law, don't break the law. That's a life rule. Sports rule, don't chase points until the fourth quarter. I don't care what the chart says or your analyst or whatever. Don't chase points until the, like, so we have life rules. We have sports rules. Rarely do the two intersect. This is one of the few life rules and sports rules, and we are doing our best to ruin it. Sports rule, always rush the field. Life rule, same thing, folks. Yes, it's a life rule. Rush the field and every day make it happen go make it happen in your life whatever it is so sports rule in a very real sense rush the field when you have a reason to life rule same thing attitude every day except now it's earned. here's what rush the field is supposed to mean at least it does to me i dropped down from the four foot brick wall in the end zone I'm a fan, which means I'm older than college age. And I'm a lot older than that actually now. Most of us are. And so a combination of jog, hop, and bounce my way out to about, I don't know, like the 10-yard line. And then I stand on a patch of grass with others that are just as happy as I am and for the same reason. <laughs> that kick Just curved right and it was going to miss, but through the rain, it curved back through the uprights. And now I'm happy and my team won and I'm going to rush the field. So that's, and so you stand there with your brethren. You've never met these people, but you stand there with your brethren in this really, really great mood. And after, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes, you're like, Okay, then you go back. you got to find your binoculars and like the souvenir cups and all that, and then you start your hike back to the sled. Except now it's not that anymore. Now it's about 90% folks with cell phones rolling, and it's dangerous for a couple of reasons. A, for most people, it's not about a personal memory. It's about getting a vid that will get a lot of views, so that might require instigation. Provocation of whatever level. And two... Someone trying to talk to the lens themselves or staring at the face of the phone to make sure what they're filming is coming in clean. Those people aren't paying attention to where their feet are walking, like their steps directly in front of them. And there are hundreds, if not thousands of these people doing that same thing leads to physical contact. And that's when the other stuff starts. Good for Nick Saban not suspending Jermaine Burton. Do you remember the initial story? Jermaine Burton smacked some female Tennessee fan side to head. And I think that's a pretty good version of what happened after what had happened to Jermaine Burton, and then again and again and again and again. So once all the cell phone videos came out, you saw that when Alabama was trying to get off the field after the loss two years ago, Rocky Top. Jermaine Burton, I think the guy was a target. Out of the 85 kids on scholarship entering the 2022 season, what is the one player every non-Alabama fan knew was the alpha, was the intense guy? I think Jermaine Burton got targeted. If you go back and look what happened, it was one Tennessee fan after another. Shove, 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 shove. Then somebody pushed him good. He turned around and popped somebody, and it turns out it was this Tennessee fan who had pushed him. He's like, no, I'm done with this. Now, good for Burton being the college-aged human who kept his cool. And what was he, like, moving his, like, waving his hand, like, get away, get away, get away, and, like, pop the girl. Um, Good for him being the, the college-aged, I'll say, kid who kept his cool because he was supposed to be the alpha-intense guy who may go cray. If you remember, it was also an issue after the LSU game with Bama in 2022. Um, player injuries. Folks being jack legs, this is over. And I mean beginning right now. And the response from schools is about to change. I'm hiring strip club bouncers, event staff windbreakers on them, and being very clear on every ticket and the message board. Get on the field. And either Dalton and his coworkers are going to take charge stat or a German Shepherd is going to be on you like a bad rash. Anyone ever seen fans storm the You can't do that. Impossible. 80,000 people and they decide. Anybody ever seen fans storm the field at an NFL game? Don't happen. Like almost ever. And when I say almost ever, I'm in my mid-50s. I can remember like, I mean like three times in my life. I Heath, you ever seen NFL fans storm a field? I can't think of many, if any, that's Uh, for sure. Clemson fans? Heath, you did South, you are in South Carolina for a decade and a half. You know what Clemson fans, like all Clemson fans are invited to do after every game, right? Meeting at the Paw. Uh, Yeah, sorry. Sorry. Fresno State does that too. There there are other schools that after you're invited, come on down. Kids run the bases on Sundays. Um, Come on down on the field. Sorry. Not anymore. Solution. And it's a drastic one. It is a bear. You lose a conference home game the next rotation. Now, that might keep Cody and Roy Ed from looking at each other and realizing, well, look, if nobody is going to rush the field, I mean, we can be trailblazers here. We can be the ones – we can be like those two guys with Hank Aaron running around the bat, And so, suddenly, they're off – We have lit out for the midfield strike. Um, An NFL game? I can remember, actually, I think, I remember two times in my life, the Cardinals, Cardinals fans did this, and they may have taken a goal post. And, folks, I and this was, I bet it was 25 years ago. If you Google your computer, what would that be, 1999, maybe 98? If Cardinal fans, if they made the playoffs one of those years, and I think with an Adrian Morrell team, maybe they went to Dallas and played maybe a Chan Gailey team. I'm having flashbacks. I think their fans stormed the field. And then I saw this in, and I remember the news story after it happened. I think I was a senior in high school or junior maybe. Hey, did you ever hear about when the Patriots fans stormed the field and took the goalpost out through downtown? You know, I think I missed that one. Yeah. Um, metal goalpost. They decided to brace it by putting it in a metal trash can, leaned it against the power pole. Two guys got electrocuted. Um, that, and I, so I heard about that's the second time. I can't come up with the third one. I said three NFL games. People know get on the field. It ain't going to go well for you. And Mike Curtis is like the least of your concerns. If I just lost you go look up on YouTube, Mike Curtis fan on the field. Um, Least of your concerns. So, I, you're going to lose a conference home game the next rotation. There's where all of a sudden we have cavalry, We have Mounted Patrol. Uh, I don't want it to look like Stormtroopers of America at Jordan hair. But I also don't want my team like we're supposed to play Tennessee at home. And we have to go to Knoxville. All right. That's where peer pressure gets involved. Hey, how's the Tuesday? Well, I will say that, uh, again, how, how we deal
3: with this is not clear, but something's going to have to be done. It's going to be real interesting to see uh, what gets said over these next few days because it does seem like the Duke-Wake Forest thing kind of prompted a real yep. a reexamination. Quickly, Chuck, we have a little bit of conference realignment that I think is uh, interesting just because now people are just – it feels like people are just making moves to make moves. UMass used to be in the MAC, Then they left the MAC. Now UMass is going back to the MAC. In 2025, it's joining the Mid-American Conference in all sports. I've always liked the MAC for one thing. The MAC knows who it is. And the MAC, basically, all those schools, those, those Michigan, Ohio schools, Buffalo's in there, too. But basically, they're that one little core area right there in the Midwest. They play each other. It's easy for fans to get from game to game if they want to go. They know who they are. UMass doesn't feel like a fit at all. I don't know if you've ever been to UMass. It it doesn't feel like a fit. Buffalo doesn't feel like a great fit either. I've been to a Buffalo game. It didn't feel like a natural fit for them playing Bowling Green. But it's just like everybody says, well, we got to do something. We got to do something. So if you're UMass, you were independent. uh, All right, let's get back in the MAC. So at this point, Notre Dame, who's kind of a quasi-independent because they play, you know, five games with the ACC and UConn, are all that are left for the independents. I wonder if at some point, Chuck... We're going to see more independents come back to college football because you asked the Mac, I mean, they literally did this already. And it didn't work. And now they're just like, well, let's try it again.
2: Yeah. Um, and you're, talk, you're right about, you know, know who you are. Um, if you're huge in Branson and Bay St. Louis, like maybe Vegas is the wrong room for you. And so the Mac, I mean, they, I think, in fact, they had the distinction four or five years ago. They became, the, it was pre-COVID. They became the first conference the entire month of November. Not one game was on a Saturday. Not one MAC team played a single game on a Saturday. They're like, we'll take whatever's left over. It's like they know their place. They have always done that. And they've carved out a little sort of following outside of just their footprint. I've always said this. And, Heath, you know your way to a window at a sports book. The Central Michigan-Miami of Ohio total... It pays the same U.S. currency as give me Bama minus the 36. Like, I mean, it's still action, right? Oh, absolutely. You're talking to a guy who's, yeah, I've I've found some MAC totals over the years. Absolutely. And when they isolate themselves on, for instance, a Tuesday, they were one great move that allowed a lot of folks to say, I'm going to drill down a little bit because I'm a fan and it's the only game in town. They've done a great job of that. And so it's bigger than they were but it doesn't necessarily mean better and i don't know if suddenly we're going to get the boston market turning into a bunch of western michigan games um maybe all right uh we break continue next
1: It's Always college football time in the South. Now back to more of the king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today.
2: It's a Tuesday on the Chuck Oliver Show, and we ain't got no tackles. At the Chuck Oliver Show, we were only a few defensive tackles shy of what LSU has. Um, and he's an edge. Don't think that he's an interior guy. Uh, started the show with that. It really was a Harold Perkins thing that then led to a tackles thing that then led to a Billy Napier thing. I don't know how I got there. I want to welcome on right now. We will wade through all the LSU news from the Baton Rouge Advocate. It is Wilson Alexander. Wilson, welcome back, friend. How you doing?
4: Doing well, Chuck. How are you today?
2: Uh, nothing but good, man. I was actually uh, reading some of your words about Harold Perkins. I was. I saw the name Harold Perkins. I was like, gimme, gimme, gimme. He's one of those guys just can't get enough of it. Um, And I like the overall plan, I believe. Let's talk just him first inside, but a much more aggressive version of defense with him inside. So he won't be so much of a drop-in coverage guy.
4: That is the idea. And with LSU on this one, it's the first you don't succeed, try again. Because LSU came out in the season opener last year with him, at inside linebacker, and it did not work out. And he didn't return to that position. But now with LSU – uh, Blake Baker coming in as a defensive coordinator. Uh, this seems like maybe, maybe it could actually work out this time. Blake has worked, uh, you know, developed some linebackers over the last few years uh, and had quite a bit of success doing so with DeMone Clark at LSU and then Tyrone Hopper at Missouri. And that seems to maybe be the model with Hopper in terms of what LSU could maybe unlock with Harold Perkins in terms of. You know, somebody who is actually getting after the, you know, the ball a little bit better um, and not dropping into coverage because, you know, LSU was such a kind of soft zone coverages, been but don't break kind of style last year. Um, you know, playing inside linebacker, just it didn't seem well suited for Harold in that way because he was so getting so away from the ball, and particularly then once he was playing outside linebacker. But if the inside linebackers in this defense are a little bit more aggressive, then that might be well suited for Harold. That's at least it seems to be what LSU is hoping with here.
2: I like the Demont Clark thing. His final season, I remember like the first 10, 11 weeks, he was out blasting people. Um, he really changed the narrative on him. And Harold Perkins, just an elite player. Um, but then I went to the guys. I was like, well, who's going to keep the guards off of him? Who's going to like keep the offensive line where they're supposed to be? Talk Gilroy, talk Lee, um, talk like returning guys on the roster and no offensive linemen, uh, just returning defensive tackles. Uh, and let's build out from there. And then McKinley and anybody else you think in the mix.
4: LSU has two returning defensive tackles. Uh, that's it. You mentioned both of them, Jacoby and Guillory, and Jalen Lee. And they are neither guy uh, were starters last year. Uh, Guillory had his best season in the, since he'd been at LSU, um, but he was still more of a rotational player. And now LSU seems to really be leaning on uh, the uh, you know the hope that he can develop into a starter and a productive one at that, um, and be able to really kind of play play that nose guard position. Jalen Lee's also Kind of a more of a nose guard type. And so, with only those two coming back, because LSU had really banked on retention with Mason Smith and Makai Wingo, um, and neither of them stayed, you know, they also, uh, that's what left them in such a bind. Um, They've also got Sean Washington coming in, a junior college transfer. They feel pretty good about him and what he could do in his first season at LSU. And then two freshmen, one of them, Demirion Johnson, will be here in, in the spring. So maybe we can start to get a glimpse of what he's capable of and if he can contribute as a freshman. And then Dominic McKinley, their big five-star signee, gets here in the summer. Um, but, you know, especially with getting here in the summer and playing a position like defensive tackle, um, it's just hard to say how soon he's going to be ready to contribute. But because of the situation that LSU's in on the defensive line right now, they might have to. Um, the other option, of course, is going to be when the transfer portal opens up again in the spring. LSU is probably going to be looking around for defensive tackles at that point. Um, I'll be surprised if there are not a few more on the roster come preseason camp because they're just in such a bind right now.
2: Talk how different one aspect of recruiting is. Um, I mentioned Jalen Lee, and he's a Louisiana kid. Washington, a Louisiana kid as well, went to UGA. Um The second bite at the apple, how you deal with no as a coaching staff is a big deal. It was Les Miles who, like, the quarterback decommitted. He's like, that kid ain't got the chest. Um, Those days are over, man. Talk about that second bite sort of thing because these are Louisiana kids. It doesn't work out somewhere else. They're like, I want to go home.
4: That has been a strategy that LSU has used pretty effectively ever since Brian Kelly came back. Uh, Right after Brian Kelly's staff got hired, Brian Polian, who was their recruiting coordinator at the time, spoke to that and said that you can't do that with recruits anymore because you might have a chance to get them again. Uh, the style in which you basically, you got to wish them well and can you maintain relationships um, especially with the people around them? Cause you don't want to get into the tampering you know, element of it things either um, is, is crucial because they might go back in the portal in, in two years and then, or even a year and have a chance to re-recruit them. And LSU has done that quite a bit with, with Louisiana uh, natives or people even just with Louisiana ties over the last few years. And we saw it again in this cycle. Jaya Brown, cornerback, New Orleans guy. Uh, Jarden Gilbert, grew up in Baton Rouge area. Uh, he's going to be coming in as a safety. Davion um, Thomas, I believe, is from Louisiana as well, a wide receiver they got from Mississippi State. And so um, that is something that they've done uh, over the last three years um, and you know really have tried to lean on that as a way of getting – Louisiana guys back home because um, then you might solve your retention issues um, in this day and age of college football. At least that's what else you think, so if you can get guys who you know want to be there.
2: 60 seconds on what's ahead for Garrett Nussmeier, because a year ago, general conversation from folks outside that beat or that fan base was, oh, Garrett Nussmeier, what an exciting young kid, and now 12 more months have passed and nobody talks about him. Give me 60 seconds on him.
4: Garrett Nussmeier is now going into his first spring as the starter and there's quite a bit of expectation as to what he's going to be able to to do if he can become a little bit more consistent. Garrett has, for people who aren't familiar with him, has an incredible amount of arm talent. He is can make just about any throw on the field. Even last year in preseason camp when we got a good bit of open practice, there were throws Jaden Daniels wasn't making that Garrett Nussmeyer was making. Um, but the thing, one of the things Jaden did so well was take care of the football and make good decisions. And Garrett in his the career has a little bit of a streaky track record in that regard. He's thrown seven picks. He's got less than a 60% completion percentage um, as a backup over the last three years. And so LSU this ring is really going to be working well with him on getting a little bit more consistent, um, because if he can be, Brian Kelly said yesterday, he can be really, really good. And, you know, he really can be. If he can just kind of cut down on some of those uh, throws that he's made during his career in the early part of it, that just kind of leave you scratching your head. So that's the next step in his development. Um, but at this moment, moving forward, he's going to be LSU starting quarterback.
2: Wilson Alexander, appreciate it as always, friend. Thank you.
4: Thank you, Chuck. Have a good day.
2: Baton Rouge advocate. He is on the LSU beat. He's Johnny Manziel like. After even more recent relevant revelations, like we're going to find another to describe a quarterback who's a runaround guy and uh, just slings it, and no, like we're going to find something besides. He's he's like Johnny Manziel. How's he like Johnny Manziel? Oh, how he plays.
5: book your stay today at camp margaritavillelanierislands.com
2: now back to the chuck oliver show on southern sports today we used to have a calendar we had windows this is when kids would sign beginning of february uh here's when coaches would get fired end of november beginning of december folks there's no calendar Like, the NFL loves being a year-round sport. They have something literally. It's the combine. It's the draft. It's free agency. It's all this stuff. College football, this is not a good thing for college football being a year-round thing. uh, Because Shane Beamer, for instance, on February 27th, he didn't think he'd be hiring a wide receivers coach. Especially when it's like, he's like, wait a minute. No, I just hired one. Well, he's going to hire one again. Uh, And he has brethren. He has a lot of folks in the coaching fraternity that are saying, oh, I need to rehire a guy I just hired wade through all of that, as well as some really fun on-field scenarios, Gamecock Central, that's on three. It's Chris Clark. Chris, welcome to the show, man. How are you today?
6: I'm doing great, Chuck. I appreciate you taking time to have me today. Uh,
2: James Coley, he was there. He's no longer there. Uh, They need a wide receivers coach. (laughs) To me, that's a recruiter. Am I on the right path? Any names?
6: (laughs) Yes, we hardly knew you, James. Uh, it, It made sense for him to go back to Georgia. Worked at Georgia for several years, very close with Kirby Smart still. But a a, a shot, for sure, for Shane Beamer in this program because you're exactly right. When you think of a recruiter, that's what James Coley is. That's what his reputation was. And that's why Shane Beamer kind of handpicked him as a guy that, hey, this is a guy I want to add to my staff if I get the opportunity, and he had it. And so we don't know for sure – which direction beamer is going to go in obviously you, you laid out the timeline that makes it tough some schools getting right into spring ball are very close to spring ball i'll tell you one that we've heard circulating this morning that may even be considered the front runner is an nfl former nfl guy mike furry he is the head coach right now at limestone small school here in south carolina and uh former really, really good wide receiver in the NFL, coached for the Chicago Bears for a few years, would definitely be a different type higher than Coley, right? Because you look at the resume, it's a little different. It doesn't have multiple ACC, SEC programs and big-time recruiting chops, but you know, someone that I think the recruiting would be a question mark, right? Um, but it, but it's some. Sometimes you, you hire a guy from the NFL, like Sterling Lucas. Shane Beamer hired Sterling Lucas from the NFL. He turned out to be a great recruiter. So uh, that's that's a name that we've heard early this morning.
2: Yeah, he uh, Fury. That's an interesting name to bring up. Uh, that would be a nice little jump for him. Um, let's talk about uh, Lenora Sellers because whoever the wide receivers coach is, whoever the tight ends and the tight ends coach is, Sean Elliott, and he's new. Um, they're both either. Like new again, like Sean Elliott, or could be new to the staff in general. You have the OC returning. Um, what is the thought about how all this may affect Lenoris Sellers? Obviously, it's not what they would have chosen.
6: Well, I, I think for Lenoris, the the goal there is just what kind of pieces can you put around him, you know? And there are a lot of things about this football team in general that need to be solved and improved from twenty twenty three to twenty twenty four. And that's not just the quarterback. It's not just the coaching staff. It's really all of it, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you're five and seven. Shane Beamer told us at a sit-down recently with Gamecock Central that you know he didn't feel like any side of the ball was good enough, offense, defense, or special teams, which has been mostly very reliable to to great under him. Um, And and so when you're looking at the offense, you lose Spencer Rattler, who is a really good quarterback for you. But Lenoris has, you know, quite frankly – elite type of ability, but then what can you give him in the run game? Can you fix the issues you had with the offensive line? Who, Who's the receiving, you know, the top receiver is going to be? What's that core going to look like after Xavier Leggett left? And, of course, Juice Wells going over to Ole Miss. A lot of questions here. I think Lenoris is good enough and athletic enough to potentially cover up a lot of that because of his unique skill set. Uh, But they're going to need to add some pieces. They they landed some guys in the transfer portal. I think maybe they're not going to be quite done there. I think they might try to sign another receiver when the spring portal window opens up they revamped the running back room which is a huge priority at Rocket Sanders who had a yep. 1400 yard rushing year in 2022 I think that's a significant piece and then the other thing is I think you know Dowell Loggins was on staff at Arkansas when they had KJ Jefferson and Rocket in 2022 and those guys had big years together the skill set for Menorah Sellers is kind of similar he, he can do a lot so there are a lot of questions and I don't think we're you know, anywhere close to solving them, but a lot of people at Columbia are no doubt very excited about sellers.
2: What's Nick Harbor gonna be in year two? Because there were like I mean <laughs> eyedropper little moments where I was like, that's it, I say it, but it was like tiny little individual spurts.
5: Yeah.
6: Well and and you know, it was very easy to get wrapped up in, okay, this guy's a five star. He's the number one athlete in the country. He's a big six five kid who's you know I just got legitimate track speed, and in fact, he's, he's just finishing up his track season under Tim Hall here in Carolina. Um, you know, it was very easy to get wrapped up into that, but but most people knew, you know, who had followed his recruitment, and who were close to the program. Hey, this guy has not actually played wide receiver for a football program, and then you know, not only that, you're you're going to the SEC level to do it. So there are definitely some freshman moments for him, some teachable moments. He also, as you pointed out, there made some plays where you're going, okay, you know, there it is. So I think, you know, that's another question. That's one of many questions about this offense. Can you get a jump from year one to year two with Nick Harbour as he continues to, you know, learn the nuances of playing receiver? I think the new receiver coach, whoever it is, will certainly, you know, play a big role in that in terms of the development. He's got a lot of tools to work with. Um, So I think we'll see more of him this year. I don't think it's fair to expect – has you know, some huge superstar s jump in year two,
2: though. Offensive line last year, it got to the point where, I mean, honestly, uh, if you could fog a mirror, like if you could fill out the uniform and go <laughs> give them some snaps, you were going to get a chance. Um, they've got a couple of big monster four-star in-state kids showing up. Um, I hate to even talk about true freshmen on the offensive line because somebody can get hit. Uh, talk about these two kids, Josiah Thompson and Cam Pringle. Yeah, I mean –
6: you're, you're certainly right. It got really to the point of ridiculousness last year with the level of injuries, where you had, you know, eight, nine guys out at any given time. And so, when you're looking at the question of how to get better, that's your number one. You know, just just get healthier. And some of the things are kind of flukes, kind of freak accidents last year, things like that. So you got to be healthy, number one. But you know. <laughs> I think out of the freshman offensive linemen they brought in, and they brought in a few, and they brought in some guys from the transfer portal, Josiah Thompson, I think, is the one you really look at because he plays that premium position of tackle. Not only that, he can be a left tackle. He's already gotten up into the 300-pound range. Yeah, this is a guy that's rated by some services as the number one offensive tackle in the country and just has so much room for growth, so much potential. You're right. That is a ton to ask of a true freshman. I could see him giving this team some snaps, though, and you never know. I mean, Tree Babalade, last year, he was forced into action against Georgia on the road very early in the season as a true freshman and answered that bell. So I wouldn't put it past Thompson. I think he's the most ready out of all those guys. but. Uh, we'll, he was an early enrollee, like so many of that freshman class. I think we'll have a better sense of where he's at as they go through spring ball.
2: All right. Um, I want to ask you, I mean, the great equalizer, if you can hit a quarterback, it all gets it all gets easier from there. You can get simple in the secondary and just fly around and be killers back there, but you got to have the pressure up front. Um, I want to ask you where that's going to come from. Um, I know there are kids <laughs> returning, but also so much of this is speculation um, because of the portal. Um, they brought in kids that have yeah. played ball. Um, tell me where you think the, like, craft together the pass rush.
6: Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's a combination of adding some guys through the portal and then, you know, developing some guys. And then, you know, you got to keep in mind the kind of the crown jewel of their recruiting class. This year, one of the crown jewels along with Josiah Thompson was another five star, and that's Dylan Stewart. Dylan. I mean, a very highly rated edge prospect from Washington, D.C., that Sterling Lucas did a great job recruiting. He'll factor in as a pass rusher. Then you got guys like, you know, J.T. Gear, who was a transfer from Syracuse, who played last year, but was, was you know, another guy that was banged up, had a couple different injuries. Desmond Yumi Zulu, who was a true freshman last year, you know, he, I think, will factor in more. In year two, they signed Kyle Kennard as a transfer from Georgia Tech. He's another one that I think you look at and say, okay, that's a guy that, as you said, Chuck, has plenty of experience and could probably help you out there. So that is definitely one of the areas that they have to get much better in. They have to be able to rush the passer in a much more effective way because they weren't good enough there last year. So I think it's going to be a combination of some guys that they signed from the portal some talent that's already on the roster, and then you know, plugging in a guy like Stewart and seeing what he can give you as
2: well. I had seen last thing for you. I'd seen um, a number back early OOS, like the first twenty couple years in the conference. South Carolina fans had led the league in donations for like eleven years. Everybody else combined had eleven years. I was like, these fans are crazy. Like their expectations <laughs> never wane. We're now two decades past that, or we're we're, further past that now. Um, Give me your idea about where the fan base is now as far as realistic expectations for Shane Beamer.
6: Well, you know, he he got off to a great start. He took a team that had won two games the year before and overachieved, quite frankly, in, in year one. In 2021, I mean, he won six games, got team bowl eligible, um, you know, year two, you go win eight games, you you beat Clemson, you beat Tennessee, back-to-back, to back, two top ten teams, one of them on the road. I mean, just a thrill, right? And, you know, it, it's natural for the next progression. This happened to Will Muschamp, too. Like, you almost, sounds silly, you almost win too much too early. And then in year three and year four, people go, all right, it's time to win nine. It's time to win ten. Well, instead, they took a step back this year. So, I think the expectation for fans, it's not unrealistic. Nobody's sitting around in Columbia going, all right, yep, this is the year to to get back to Atlanta. They've only done it once in 2010 under Steve Spurrier, but time to do it. I think people just want to get back on track, um, you know, not just get back to bowl eligibility as a minimum, but, like, have a good season, be very competitive, get a couple big wins. Um, obviously, with Texas and Oklahoma coming in, it's getting tougher and tougher. Yeah people recognize that, but you want to you want to get back on track and just get back to where you feel like the trajectory is going in the right direction generally.
2: It can be about Clemson a little bit more now, too. Like, when you start to kind of yes. settle more of your own questions, you can start to look at the big giant across state, right?
6: Yeah, I think so, and, and that was huge. You know, to get that win uh, in 2022 was big. Uh, everybody in Columbia feels like you left one. Uh, you let one slip away last year, right? Because I mean, Clemson didn't score an offensive no. touchdown at your place, and you still lose that stuff. But there is a window now, right? I mean, there there is a window where they're not as good as they were. Georgia is certainly better than ever. You're, you're adding. There are plenty of good to great teams that you got to play and compete against in recruiting and on the field. So it's it's not easy. But I do think people are looking more at that right now. It's a good point.
2: Oh, yeah. When they're going 15-0 and with a true freshman quarterback and South Carolina's, you know, having another coaching change, it's not the best of times. Yeah. All right. Appreciate okay. you as always, brother. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. Chris Clark, Gamecock Central on three. Yeah, there was a divide where you would – like a South Carolina is a big program in the SEC. It always was. There was a time – and I mean, like, a, I don't know, four years, five years, something. South Carolina won the East in 10. And then wasn't it 11, 12, 13 were the three years of 11 games, 11 wins. So around, like, 15 or so, 16, um, it wasn't such high cotton in Columbia. And um, I remember watching a Farrow Cooper team where uh, – the reason I say a Farrow Cooper team, like, literally, it was like – he was he was the Benny Rodriguez of the sec and i'm watching this going they have one legitimate player out there that i think really they have an advantage over like the other team's guy the other 10 spots go to the opponent it was not it was not a good time and across state hi we're undefeated with a freshman at quarterback and we have four nfl draft picks on the d line three of them are in the like top 22 picks that's what we are what are what are you well we have a new coach oh so that's just, it's, it has not been, it, it's, it's more equal now. Clemson's gettable. Absolutely, Clemson's gettable. Clemson, and now part of this is Clemson's come back, but I, I look at Shane Beamer and I think I kind of know what the floor is. I think, um, and so you, if you have a team coming back to you in state like Clemson appears to have, and then you look at your own house and you're like, well, we're a little more solid here. I, you know, we're a lot less likely to have those stinker Saturdays where we lose at home to Citadel. Um, it's more gettable in state. You can think about Clemson, whereas before you were just having to stomp out your own fires. Didn't even have time. It wasn't even worth looking at Clemson. Please, they're a national championship program. You got your own stuff to worry about. All right, we break. We wrap up next.
1: Catch the king of college football no matter where you go with a new Southern Sports Today app. Catch the best college football conversation in the South everywhere with the SST live stream and daily podcast. Download it now at the App Store and the Google Play Store. Now more of the best college football talk in the country. It's the Chuck Oliver Show.
5: I I pick an awful lot of quarterbacks. I'd rather have be on the other sideline for me and my opener than him, but you know, it it is what it is and that's the world we live in today. And so uh, I think there's a lot of mutual respect between the two of us, but I think he knows, like I know we're both high level competitors too. And so for those three and a half hours, uh, we won't be rooting for each other. And then uh, then we'll shake hands and, and wish each other the best for the rest of the year.
2: Chuck Oliver show continuing. On this Tuesday, that's Mike Oko, who's the A&M head coach. I don't mind. A&M plays Notre Dame in the opener. He will face his former starting quarterback, Riley Leonard, in the Texas A&M. They were both at Duke. They will face each other in the A&M-Notre Dame game to kick off the season. Riley Leonard, he is a really talented kid and gutsy and tough and a lot of things that you love. Now, he got hurt last year. And keep in mind that there's a lot more to him than just the numbers. And I've always said to every quarterback, numbers are just an indicator. How'd you get the numbers? Heath, I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm so sorry. You got any guess how many touchdowns Riley Leonard threw last year? Uh, I'm going to go 16. Three. Oh, okay. I was close um he had an amazing season back in 2022 but there was the backdrop of well he's at duke and then last year it, well he was at duke and he got hurt in that duke no matter what you do there was always going to be a lot of credit assigned there was going to be a mitigating something or other and it was well he's at duke well, he's not at duke anymore he's at texas a and a&m i'm mean, excuse me he's at notre dame and every single week, they open Texas A&M, folks, every single week, Notre Dame. The five mandated ACC games, that can soften it when ro- Wake Forest and Syracuse and whoever ro- rotates on. Every week, big giant stage, big giant opponent. And you have, a, again, Notre Dame talent. Here's the funny thing. We talk about Bama, Ohio State. You know, you're not going to have that sort of talent at Notre Dame. You don't have Notre Dame talent at Duke. And so it's sort of like Sam Hartman. All right, you got no clothes anymore. <laughs> Appreciate the 100 touchdowns away for us. What are you going to do on this stage? And he got out, house of fire. And then after like three or four games, it was a little different. So Ryder Leonard will have the chance to have a blow up season next year, I can promise you. Heath, how's your day going?
3: Well, probably not as good as Jackson Darts, Chuck, because um, we have a new NIL deal that I, I think this is the kind of thing that the people who freak out about NIL deals, this is going to be one of the ones that gets really, really gets some sand in there, grinds their gears a little bit. Uh, Jackson Dart of Ole Miss has become the first athlete to sign a deal with a private jet company. PJ! He has a deal that will allow him to use the folks at Nicholas Airs fleet of jets for travel, training, and philanthropy. So Jackson Dart will be promoting private jets and the way you can use private jets to get around i mean i here's the thing that i find fascinating about this is there somebody out there who was willing to use private jets who has the kind of money necessary to spend to use a private jet you know i went down to tampa this weekend i just got on a plain old regular commercial jet it was fine but you know if somebody said hey we'll just pick you up and take you there that would not have been a bad thing but I'm producer of the Chuck Oliver Show. I don't have the kind of coin rolling around the pockets that makes me think I should fly private. Southwest was fine. Thanks. Is there anybody out there, Chuck, who has that kind of money but has been previously unaware of private jet service that says, oh, well, if Jackson Dart can fly from, I don't know, Oxford to California, I will do the same thing. Like, this inherently just seems so odd and unnecessary and I can't imagine there's too many Ole Miss fans who are like, man, I've been meaning to get into the PJ lifestyle. I just didn't know who to go with. And now I do. Thank you, Jackson Dart.
2: All right. We, you're right. And I don't know that there are going to be 100% on that. I don't know there are going to be a lot of people where you can draw a direct, uninterrupted line between Jackson Dart speaking on behalf of the PJ and I'm going to go ahead and, and rent that thing. Um, when Campbell's hired Donovan McNabb to pitch soup, you're. Heath, it was one hundred percent. What is our R O I? We're gonna pay Donovan McNabb this much. How much more soup will we sell? That's strictly what it was. With a lot of name image likeness, it's I want to give money to my school and keep the best players there, so I'm gonna give money to my school. Uh I get some commercials in return now, but I've always wanted to pay players and help. The guy who gave away all the gym memberships and five grand to every Miami player, I don't know if he's really trying to increase membership. He's trying to get money to Miami players. And so name image likeness is the one avenue of endorsement celebrity quote endorsements where it's not necessarily drawn to a return on what you spend. It's drawn to winning games. Well, we'll see whether or not uh, Ole Miss wins
3: games with Jackson Dart the way people think they could. Who knows if they do? Maybe he can uh, make a big commercial about taking the private jet on his way up to uh, the Davy O'Brien award ceremony or the, uh, the Heisman ceremony. We'll see. But uh, if there's a surge in business in private jets in Oxford, now we know why.
2: Did I ambush you on that three touchdowns thing? I got to admit, Heath, I was surprised too. I should wraps, have remembered. Wraps it up on a Tuesday. Me, everybody else, you, back tomorrow.
5: Book your stay today at Camp Margaritaville Lanier dot com.